This is Dr. Laura Gouge, and you are listening to The Practice Sessions, the podcast where we combine practical advice with powerful inspiration to support you in creating the practice of your dreams. Hi, everyone. I'm excited to introduce our guest for today, Dr. Tori Hudson, a guest who honestly needs no introduction. Tori has been in practice for more than 34 years, and she is the go-to person for all things women's health and naturopathic medicine. She's the medical director of A Woman's Time, a clinic in Portland, Oregon, and the director of the supplement line Vitanica. She's the founder of NERC, a nonprofit organization dedicated to creating accredited naturopathic residencies, and is also well known for her book, The Women's Encyclopedia of Natural Medicine. Tori speaks regularly at conferences all over the world, on all topics women's health. On the podcast today, my co-host is Emily Whitson, one of our co-founders and a currently a third-year naturopathic medical student. On today's episode, Tori shares her story of how she became established as an expert in women's health. She shares insight on her value system and how she creates a successful treatment plan for the individual patient. We also have a conversation about how to provide value and how to begin to diversify your income streams if you're in a state where most of your income is going to be dependent on the insurance system. And then we also go deep on how to stay in alignment with who you really are as a way to prevent burnout. So as always, I hope that you enjoy the episode today. Hey, Tori, it's really great to um, be able to sit down and do this interview this morning. Thanks for being on. You're welcome. Yeah. So the first question we like to ask everyone is, can you just share a bit with us about what your practice is like right now? Like, where are you practicing? Who do you primarily see? Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. For anyone who may not know you already. Okay. Uh, I own a clinic. It's called A Woman's Time in Portland, Oregon. And I've been in practice a little over 34 years. Um, But I, um, so here been here for about, I have to do the math, maybe 23 years. So really, I think the best way to describe this practice is primary care and gynecological issues for women. That is women's health. And long ago, I read something that really resonated with me about the definition of women's health as problems that occur only in women, that's obvious, but also problems that occur more often in women, of which there's a long list, and problems, the third leg of the stool would be problems that have some unique clinical presentation or clinical diagnostic glitch or difference in women. So all of that uh, is women's health, and we do all of that here. And all ages, uh, realistically, pretty much mostly we're kind of adolescents and above, although one of the doctors who was a resident is staying on, and she's growing her, her pediatrics practice and expertise, so they might get younger. Plus, she has a young baby, so, you know, then they draw a crowd, I think. <laughs> I practice, you know, I'm... Some people are often surprised. I practice full-time. I practice every day. I see patients every day. Not every day is a, you know, 9 to 5 or 7 to 7 kind of day, but but I have half to full days every day. Yeah, well, that's certainly what you're most... The women's health is certainly what you're most well-known for, I feel like, in the naturopathic community. You've really, you know, paved the way for so much of what we learn nowadays, even in school around women's health. I'm curious, how did you end up with uh, that specialty? Did you always know you wanted to do women's health? In fact, I was sort of had this feminist anti 
women's right. attitude. <laughs> just because I'm a woman and just mm-hmm. because I'm a woman doctor doesn't mean, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to do women's health. So I have a little, I had a little bit of toot about it for a while. <laughs> and then um, I graduated in 84. So in those early 80s, there really, I would say, you know, women's health did not have much prominence and there was some really excellent OB instructors when obstetrics was taught both academically and clinically at the college for all students but the actual gynecology and women's health there was there was no real um, identity I would say around it Mm -hmm. and and I would say that it was almost exclusively, you know, traditional, old-fashioned therapies. Nothing, and, and that's not necessarily a, a strength or a fault of naturopathic medicine, but just the not very much research had yet evolved right. on natural medicines and women's health particularly. So, um, so there wasn't, there was a lot of... Um, women patients just like there are now predominantly in the teaching clinic and I stayed on as faculty and was a resident and and full-time faculty and so we're seeing these you know floods of women patients and like basically no one you know we're kind of floundering <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. what are we doing chronic vaginitis like yarrow douches forever that's just not gonna number one work <laughs> plus hardly anybody's gonna do it um, so I just felt like it was really my skills, everyone's skills around me were weak and we weren't really helping areas that I felt like we needed to. So I just felt like I wasn't really helping enough women to, when it comes down to it. And, um, and I was like, what am I going to do? So I, and I'm, and I was being looked to, um, just because there, I was a woman faculty member and teaching in the clinic, et cetera. And so I felt like despite my, you know, feminist, attitude at the time I was I just uh, was in a position where I felt like I needed to and turns out I wanted to yeah Um, and I uh, just made it my business to to learn as much as I can as fast as I can could and how I chose to do that at the time was I felt like in the really kind of area of diagnostic medicine I started there mm-hmm. um, with, and who would know? The gynecologist would know. The MD would know. The internist would know. Um, so I put myself in a position to now, sort of you might say preceptor again, and uh, parked myself in a gynecologist's office and just my learning curve ramped up majorly and went to their grand rounds and their CME events and 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 then and now we're late 80s where the botanical medicine research is starting to kind of unfold uh, in more significant ways thank and being brought to us by people like Dr. Michael Murray who's a naturopathic physician and Dr. Don Brown and they were people involved in more the commercial aspect of the natural products industry and they were working with companies from Germany that were very you know on top of uh, all that emerging research and so that just was a synergistic blend for me is that I was really my learning curve about really learning gynecology and women's health the 
now more rapid pace of natural medicine research. So it was a good blend and, and good timing. And I also, over the years, and still do, look to, okay, what are what is, what, is, what is the medical doctor doing to treat this condition? And understanding the mechanism of that drug and how can I, how, how can I use the mechanisms of a natural agent to accomplish the same thing? And one might criticize that for being very uh, mechanistic, but I find it to be extremely valuable to as part of you know what I would do um, as oh that's they're giving an NSAID okay what NSAIDs do I have and and ginger and turmeric and oh well now and now we're 30 years later look at that research on ginger and dysmenorrhea and look at that ginger research on ginger and menorrhagia and so like it's still kind of coming together but I felt like I was lucky to kind of see that and lucky to have uh, gynecologists and MDs open to me and learning from them and um, so so there was a certain a, a timing curiosity gets you a long ways yeah I, I put a big plug in for curiosity mm-hmm. curiosity in that case and humility like I'm willing to learn from you and I have a lot to learn from you those two I would say are um, sort of hallmarks of what I've how I've accrued the the things that I know and you know, respect and value, you know, what other people know that I can learn from. Right. And I still do love that. Uh, I mean, I have, you know, several gynecologists on my text opportunity. You know, we have each other's cell phone and I text them about, you know, this situation and she texts me about, you know, is this and such or what do you think about lavender and pregnancy? You know, or lactation right. or whatever. And and there might be easy places to look that up where there's actually information known. And then when there's not information known, because she could look it up too, I could just share my my experience or my opinion, and, and they do the same. So that um, really, I think, collaborating with, learning from, sharing information with conventional practitioners is a real career builder in all kinds of ways. And what you know and now there's cross and a practice building Mm -hmm. frankly I mean now you know people and this started way long long ago is those MDs you know start referring to you too it's not just we refer to them for their expertise they refer to us right and then you also get a reputation I think uh, especially in a community like Portland where you know most every being on the street that is going to go seek health care knows there are natural medicine people <laughs> practitioners <laughs> versus maybe other parts of the country not so true so you we i think it's easy to find patients who are interested in that sort of collaborative integrative approach and they are already taking their antihypertensive but you know, they're having some side effects and maybe they're open to something else or they get partial benefit from their drug and they want additional benefits. So, I mean, we have a population that thinks right for thinking of two brains, uh, the sort of conventional approach and natural medicine approach. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's such a solid approach that you could apply right now of just apply yourself, 
to being the best possible doctor you can be by learning the diagnostics and really understanding what's going on in the body and then critically thinking about what natural therapies we have. And I love that part too of like, well, what is a conventional doctor going to do in this case? Like it's so important that we understand it really well so we can choose from what we have in our medicinary. Yeah. You know, there's a, uh, I think, I don't know where this phrase ever started, but I think it's a good one. You know, I know what I don't know. And I want to stay very clear and continue to know what I don't know mm-hmm. and find the people that know. Right. Mm-hmm. The places that know. And once I start thinking that I know things I don't know is where you get into trouble, I think, with patients, things going south. Right. Whether it's with a patient or with a business or with the board or something. I know. <laughs> I feel like shadowing has, has illuminated that part of life, too, of, of showing me what I didn't know, I didn't even know. <laughs> and that's where shadowing with other doctors mm-hmm. has been the most valuable in my my experience yeah. is, oh, wow, that was a blind spot. And there's just so much to learn from people who've been doing this longer. Yeah. And you know what? That still can happen 34 and a half yeah. years later. <laughs> like, I mean, I think a month ago, I had, I had, I don't even remember what it was right now, but it was a, she had this disorder that I had never even heard of. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I'm like, wow. wow, that's amazing to me. And, um, but yes, it's still like, oh my gosh, I hadn't thought of that particular mm-hmm. yeah. issue that can happen. And yeah, it can be scary sometimes when you think like, well, what if I would have missed that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What if I would have missed that? She's complaining of, you know, leg pain in her popliteal fossa. <laughs> what if I didn't know what that meant? Right. Possibly. So, yeah, I think that's where the, the diagnosis... I always want to know what I'm treating. And that's one, one thing that I really value about conventional diagnosis. Uh, and then we can, you know, layer it from there. But I, when I have patients that come in, I have this breast lump I'm not going to go to the doc I'm not going to get a mammogram I'm not going to get a biopsy I don't even you know I'm not going to use conventional therapy if, if it's cancer and I explain my point of view is like even natural medicine works best when we know what we're treating mm-hmm. and usually you can swing a very extreme point of view into uh, what I would say is a more safer and um, productive way to treat one's health problems. Right, right. Like finding that safe middle ground with the best of both worlds, the conventional and the holistic. So if I'm straying too far off of the questions you want to ask me, I apologize. <laughs> well, this is a great this conversation. Come back. Um, well, I know I've been talking a lot. Emily, what do you want to ask? Um, so many things, but I'm curious what you see as some of the barriers to that kind of reciprocity building with conventional medicine. You mentioned humility, and why do you think some people don't do that? Do they not know to do that, or do you think it's more of like an attitude? <laughs> well, um, I sort of equate it with how would you need to be to go on a good date? 
You know, like I want you want to be date worthy. <laughs> good way to put it. Yeah. Smell good. You want to kind of look decent. Right. Your clothes are iron. You want to be articulate. You want to uh, listen and exchange of information and have that be balanced. And you want to be respectful. You want to be complimentary. I mean, so I just say be date worthy, and that should work out. And but why do people don't do that? I we I don't I mean I could take a stab at some things <laughs> right. I mean but and it could go back to you know infancy for a particular uh, persons yeah. I mean we all yeah. our personalities have evolved through influenced by many many things and and I you know this is just my way of being and my way of doing and what I think what clearly works for me and I. When I was a lot younger, I used to think what was working for me would work for everybody, and now mm. I know that that's not the case. <laughs> you know? And um, and so people, you know, have a different personality. I mean, there are people that are just really passionate, my way, the highway kind of doctors, which is not my way, mm -hmm. but that's their way, and if they might be able to make that work, mm -hmm. and I think. It maybe was they might have had a better shot with it in the fifties and sixties. Yeah, that's what I'm imagining now. Yeah, but but I still think they will attract a certain you know kind of patient. Mm -hmm. right. And and I also I think is you know where what part of the country, what state, what community one's in. I think one has to really kind of feel that out. Right. And. and uh, smaller communities you know you got to really i would say behave yourself but so people that have a really different personality than me you know i i can cite examples that i think that has worked that my way or the highway kind of thing hmm. but i think it's dicey yeah and it seems like a different approach entirely than a patient-centered approach yeah. where we acknowledge realistically patients are seeing conventional medicine practitioners as well it's on board they're interested mm -hmm. and want to understand their condition maybe in multiple different ways so it seems like just to maintain the relationship with the patient and and practice good medicine there's a certain amount of understanding we have to share with the other people working on the same body yeah, <laughs> can yeah. even see it that way right, you know right for sure you know i uh, we have our uh six is it five or is it six? Anyway, I think it's six principles of nature medicine. <laughs> you know, we have those six, but I've long advocated for two more. Yeah. And oh. one um, is the good to bring up now, which is resonance. And I value the principle of resonance with a patient. And that's what I'm trying to do is, you know, kind of a little, what is that Aikido martial art where you know mm -hmm. is that the right one i don't know but i want to resonate with them mm -hmm. and to me uh, it's it's like a homeopathic core principle of what is resonance and so to me the therapy needs to resonate and that's where i kind of my driving force of being knowledgeable about the whole spectrum of options not just the natural medicine part of the spectrum but there's a, the whole spectrum 
I think offers the opportunity for therapies to resonate with a different person at a different time in a different place and a different set of circumstances, both clinically and personally and economically and, you know, all mm -hmm. things. So to me, the ideal therapy is the therapy that resonates mm -hmm. with that situation. And the second added principle kind of goes with that, which is choice, which is what we're talking mm -hmm. about, is that I believe people, there's some inherent value in choosing, in a patient choosing what feels best to them, what resonates with them. And so I've infused our six principles with the choice and resonance, and now we have, I have eight, and so, and they don't all get the same top billing in the same moment. Mm -hmm. Like there's times when like, okay, do no harm, that wins. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you know, all my other fanciful thinking is mm -hmm. going to come later mm -hmm. yeah, right. or, or treat the cause. They have, you know, some terrible organism <laughs> that's mm -hmm. threatening their life, let's say. And so, um, I want to treat the cause in a very specific way. And then I can unwrap the other meaning of that cause as time goes on because mm -hmm. I don't want to do harm and you know I have all kinds of examples of of these sort of Tory Hudson spins on our principles because um, doing harm doing no harm means you know also not under treating right and we're kind of hyper focused on mm -hmm. over treatment or treatments that cause side effects well doing harm can be under treating mm -hmm. right it could be a uh, failure to refer yeah, you know yeah. the simplicity there but yeah. do no harm yeah i had a patient just called the other day on, uh, on call and she's at night she's at home she goes i'm having this left flank you know well she didn't use the word flank but i'm having, <laughs> having this pain in my back and it kind of came and went and now it's here longer and you know a friend of mine said you know maybe you have a kidney stone and you should get it checked out. And I'm like, yeah, you really might have a kidney stone and you don't really want to wait till three o'clock in the morning if your symptoms are kind of getting a little worse right now. And I sent her to the ER. Sure enough, she had an obstructive, you know, stone. Yeah. And so it was one of those moments where I'm like, okay, that was good, Tori. You listened, you paid attention. <laughs> you, you knew the right thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. But I what you were saying before about resonance and choice, I think there's something about building that relationship with our patient and truly understanding individualized healthcare. Yes. In that the best treatment plan in the world won't work on the patient that won't do that. There you go. Right? And it's everybody is so different and taking that time to listen and get to know the people who are in our office. I think that's somewhere that our medicine shines just because we take more time with our patients so we can really get a sense of who they are and allow them a choice in their treatment, especially in Oregon. That's nice because we can offer more conventional treatments too. Yeah. And here's the bugaboo with this time thing is because I do feel like to practice our medicine in its fullest, we need that time yeah. for the patient. But economically, that is challenging. Yeah. Is like in, right now, I and for years, I have hour new patient visits and half hour follow up patients. Right. And because I know that if I go to 10 minute follow up patients, you know, that's going to change how I practice. Right. But hour and half hour, you know, economically, in, in an environment where you're like Portland, where 
pretty much need to be on insurance panels, I would say, especially for a young doctor. You're not going to get paid what you're worth. Right. Mm. Truly. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that brings up, I think, you know, being creative with practice models and revenue streams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because just patient care as your own as your sole revenue stream as a naturopathic physician in a location where you're on insurance panels is increasingly increasingly hard right right you know and that sometimes like my colleague in billings montana who's you know charges by the hour because no one's got naturopathic insurance there i'm like she can they can easily she can easily make more money right than i can and and that should be influencing people and where they choose to practice absolutely pluses and minuses to the whole insurance thing and i'm not one who just wants to trash it because i think it's done a lot for our medicine and the respectability of our medicine and, and the integration of our medicine and you having a job at a facility that you wouldn't normally have had that opportunity right exactly a few years ago. if we didn't take insurance there's no yeah, way that i yeah. could work in the clinic where i work exactly mm-hmm. yeah so there's there's pluses and minuses that people need to need to think about carefully right so i'm so curious because i think a lot of people feel at a loss if they want to think about revenue streams you know you're getting started and it's like well where would i do i write a book do i uh, don't write a book don't write a book <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's not going to make very many people very much money right right what would but, I, but in yeah. time and plus mm-hmm. when you're starting out i mean really do you, there's not enough in your do, you, you don't know enough to write, write a book <laughs> wait just wait that's good advice wait. yeah um but also and, and i think writing a book for most of us um is going to be more of a career builder piece not and revenue stream. not the bread and butter right yeah, yeah. <laughs> But certainly part of building a career and speaking and writing and doctoring and yeah. collaborating and such. Yeah, where do you start? Well, you know, I think there are lots of opportunities now. You know, it's in the supplement industry is a great place to start because even though you might have to swallow something <laughs> to begin with, to think of yourself as a sort of sales mm. educator person, but think of it as education because it is. But starting a practice where you're also doing something else part yeah. time, and and I think supplement companies recognize that about naturopathic physicians, labs. So labs, meaning I guess we would call it progressive alternative laboratory companies, and supplement companies, I think is the first layer of additional. Metal uh, revenue stream to look at, and it can be short term, medium term, or long term. Right. And it can be part time or full time. Um, I, I don't really know how much there are some writing jobs in terms of publications, but you know, there that's harder and harder to come by too because people are having to write for free and then be part of some other entity and that's getting their revenue by ads and things. So I think, you know, the writer, freelance writer thing is not an easy road mm-hmm. um, and takes time. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, what else are you guys taught to be thinking about? With revenue streams? Yeah. Are, you, are we taught anything, Emily? Because I don't know. I haven't been taught anything at, you know, as a part of being a naturopathic medical mm-hmm. student. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely 
consume a lot, like workshops, yeah. ebooks, whatever I can get my hands on, essentially, and trying to educate myself. But imagining myself being on the other side of it is hard. I don't feel like I have those skill sets or even know how to connect with that world. And it also feels frantic to me. It feels like there's so much information that exists already. Like, I don't know if I want to step into that kind of pace because I really do want to prioritize being with patients. Right. So I imagine that's a that's a common tug for uh, naturopathic providers in general. The thing I like to say is you, you want to think about how can I, and we're going to start down, you know, talk down dirty money here, but, you know, it's good to be thinking about, okay, I have this content, this knowledge. How, how many different ways can I make money on mm -hmm. this? Mm -hmm. Well, okay, I'm making money seeing patients and helping them with problem A. Yeah. But now as I get more experience and more expertise, now I'm going to write a little article on it and maybe get paid a few bucks. And then now over time, now I'm going to be lecturing about it. Maybe it's just a simple consumer lecture first that you don't even get paid to do. But in time for people who do want to speak and teach, then that same problem A, and now I'm making money speaking. Yeah. And I'm speaking again, and I'm speaking again, and I'm speaking again, and I'm writing again, and I'm writing again. And yes, it evolves and changes you add too, but you started with that little pod and that little kernel and and evolved into multiple ways of revenue from that single kind of piece of knowledge, you might say. Positioning yourself as kind of the expert so that maybe you get more of a wait list or you build more mm -hmm. patients that do want to spend time with you for yeah. your right. high quality inpatient care. <laughs> and there's this whole, this whole world now that I know nothing about, nano-influencers that get paid to know something and hmm. say something <laughs> right right on the whole world of social media yeah yeah, yeah, yeah right exactly. well i'm hearing other things in that too of while it obviously would pay back in revenue streams it's also a way to reach more people Absolutely. because there is the reality of what a privilege it is even to have access to a naturopathic doctor because in a lot of states you would have to travel really far if there even are any nearby and the information can be dispersed in greater ways and you're yes. providing more value. It also sounded like just like a really natural progression of establishing yourself as an expert on something is just the more you talk about it, the more you're going to learn mm -hmm. and you can become the person on that, you know, that one topic versus knowing a tiny bit about everything. Yeah. You know, and, and again, this might be a place to say again, you know, what not the same kind of steps work for everybody, but for me, finding what I enjoy doing, love doing, and um, then being able to be not, it, it, then, then money com came, comes after that. Right. And I don't know that I could say that that's the way the world always works or mm. should work, but it works for me is is uh, if I'm sort of true to some core belief system that includes uh, generosity mm -hmm. and sharing and and um, other what I would consider positive traits or principles yeah. then then I think the income can flow that's and, and I, as I say that you know I'm painfully aware of how many really impoverished people, you know, 
know some great things <laughs> they can't get their system going and there's lots and lots and lots of obstacles um, to, to this so I realize that I'm saying this from a very sort of uh, privileged you might say point of view I had an education you know I got an education um, but I guess we're mostly talking to people who have an education <laughs> right exactly all right okay I wanted to go back to revenue streams for people who just want to stay in their office you know they're mm-hmm. not going to be thinking about other outside ways to make money so i think there's maybe some creative things might be um group visits mm. um i think uh there's ways to do that and to have um buzz and and it's a little different and you using your time well here's the hour but there's five to ten people in this room rather than just one and there's models for that and charging for that I think, you know, my system of an hour, half hour deserves questioning. <laughs> you know, maybe it needs to be an hour and 20 minutes. So it was follow-ups instead of a half hour. So that's, I could see three people an hour instead of two. That that can make a huge difference. You know, a, reven- a big revenue stream that we used to have was supplement sales. And that's just shrunk, shrunk, and shrunk. And partly because there's many you know stores where people can buy things that didn't used to be true and then you got the amazon and all related things and so i might i might sell the first bottle of their women's phase blah 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 but i'm not going to sell them the second and third and fourth and fifth bottle so that that's huge so how are you going to deal with that and yes you can have an online pharmacy thing but even there your price is not going to be better than Amazon. So I, you know, I think people are coming up with, I don't have the answer to that. Um, I think except for a couple old school fashion things is try to get yourself some discounts with direct purchasing from supplement companies. You can't get discounts from a distributor, but you can get discounts from when you go to seminars and maybe you can get your rep to make that go longer so those make a big difference you get a 10 15 percent 20 percent discount and then you still sell it for what you would normally sell it for and that's helped your bottom line significantly and then some i think offices are you know having more things that are kind of beyond me in terms of their own sort of clinic internet (laughs) e-commerce right uh not through a distributor not through a some business that's already up and running uh, outside of myself but you know they have their own e-commerce i think that that's probably something for the i mean that's how some of these businesses were i think invented you know full script i think was just an enterprising naturopathic doctor thinking about these things uh so yeah those were a couple things i wanted to say oh one other thing is just you know i'm not a person that's going to do ivs i just i never learned it i'm not drawn to it it's not me but in an office where you have procedures that are higher dollar items, right. you got to be thinking about that. What 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 can happen in this clinic that's a higher dollar, maybe even a cash pay procedure, mm-hmm. and injections and IVs uh, are in that realm. Pelvic floors in that realm too, but I'm not optimistic about that one because they can go to a gazillion women's health physical therapists, especially in Portland and get someone who's been trained as much or more 
likely more in that particular area. But thinking about what can I, what different procedures can happen right. is the point I wanted to make. Totally. I know I was having a conversation with my dad about the, you know, just running a business and being a business owner. And he knows absolutely nothing about our profession. But he just said, well, you're always going to be limited by the number of hours you see patients. Like even if you charge an exorbitant amount per hour, you're always going to have that as a limiting factor. So it's like, how can you creatively make money like while you're not seeing patients and you know I always like to come back and provide value to people beyond the number of patients you can see which will always be a reasonably small number in your lifetime exactly but to be creative with kind of wherever you are you know whatever the location and climate is like in that area like how can you be creative yeah so it's going to be different for everybody, but I think it's something really important to think about. Yeah, he's, he's right on about that. Yeah. You know, and maybe just something that would give people a, a wow charge, like I could do that. You know, Vitanica started with one product, <laughs> what, one what, formula. What was, that the, was it. what was the formula? Women's phase two. Okay. That was it. <laughs> and I, we, you know, just open business and started mm-hmm. with one bottle of one item and um that would pr- be a lot harder to do now but i would say still probably possible um if it was something really kind of unique and different mm-hmm. so um that was you know that's been my main solution to the to the economics is you know again everything ties together you know i learned something I actually now know something. I help a lot of people now. Hmm, I can write now. I know quite a bit and a lot of experience, and now I can write about it and speak about it. And oh, I'm gonna have a formula about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, they all help each other to help. What I like to say more women, more of the time. That's really kind of my shtick. How am I gonna help more women, more of the time? Yeah. And there are many, many shticks to be had. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you could talk a little bit, if you're willing, about your vision for your career as it continues to evolve, maybe in context of the field of naturopathic medicine in general. I don't think I know what you're asking me. I'm 67 years old. Okay. (laughs) Um, So I'm not sure I know what you're asking me, but might I say this, and you can steer me differently, is I, for me, I mean, I think it's a bit... I'm not the only one, but it's a bit unusual to be 67, not be thinking about retiring Mm -hmm. and having a full-time practice. Uh, It's got to be fun. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, what, what is, because you have to sustain yourself and there's different things, you know, where your office is. I like to look outside. I have a little backyard. Da, 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 da. I like to work with people, you know, that I like. Lots of things. But one of them that doesn't get enough play, I think, is mm-hmm. fun. I like to have fun with my patients. And I uh, feel out those moments and look for those times. And uh, that feels good to me as much as I want it to feel good to them. It's fun for me. Yeah, that does kind of answer my question about, you know, what inspires you, what continues to keep you, you know, engaged and excited to show up every day. Yeah, Yeah, I just genuinely like it. You know, I just genuinely like this arrangement of being with people and Mm -hmm. learning around them, about them, and how can I help them, and having something meaningful to offer. That feels good to me. 
So it has to feel good and then there has to be some fun in there. I mean, if I was harming myself in some way, that would not fit the bill. Right. <laughs> right. Like if uh, you were completely burned out yeah, from practicing. Yeah. So how do you know? not get burned out? Yeah. Well, having it be fun sounds yeah, like step one. Fun, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I think for me, like that, you know, hour new patient, half hour follow up is partly, partly why I'm sustainable uh, and not getting burned out. Yeah. I have been able to avoid learning electronic health records. So I think that's helped me, but that's <laughs> coming to an end. So the burnout factor might change. Mm. <laughs> Working with people who know things that I don't know and don't want to do they want to do them they know them mm-hmm. they get to do them and I get to do what I do that's I think a key is finding people to work with so for me I just I like it I love learning I'm curious there's just so much so many to have a profession and a career that matches up with sort of a philosophy of life is feels like a real privilege like how many people get to do that where their life and their work is kind of all part of the same sphere Mm -hmm. you know it's not like I have to just go do this for eight hours a day and then come home and have a completely different life it's all the same life and I feel like there's something to that and so I think as long as I can kind of sustain that Mm -hmm. feeling about it and that reality about it um, but I imagine in the reasonable future, I don't know what that actually means, but, you know, I would see less patients and work less hours and and do what else? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but maybe just do less would be a good place to start. Um, yeah, but to me, uh, this profession has offered me my, you know, my life, my who I am, my social life my uh, as well as my just my income and my livelihood but my it's like a little subculture on the planet feels right. like <laughs> <laughs> and so much of what i'm hearing what you're saying is to really create your career so it's in alignment with who you are yeah. and it's going to be so different for everyone but i know it's one of those things that like when we're in alignment it doesn't we're not having to like muster up energy to get through it like if we're working in alignment with our values and even how we want to practice medicine and like you said knowing the things you have no interest in doing and letting someone else do them like it would stress me also to do ivs myself all day that would take so much energy because it's it's not where my curiosity lies yeah and it sounds like that's one of the biggest things in both being successful and not burning out is like creating something that's in alignment with who you really are yeah, I think there must be some magic to that. Recipe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I'm sad for colleagues that don't have that. Right. You know, I've been uh, having resonance for a long time now. You know, and I, some of them soon, you know, early stopped being a doctor. Right. And it's like that. That's so different than than what happened for me. In most cases, I think they, you know, found something that was working for them. So I feel, but I feel badly for, for someone who's like put all this effort and time and money into doing this thing that you guys are, or you're doing anyway, so <laughs> is, you know, becoming, a, you know, being in school and becoming a naturopathic physician and like, well, that's just wasn't the right thing. That seems, that's sad to me. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
All right. So in the interest of time, what number one piece of advice would you give to someone who's just graduating and starting out? Oh, no. What? Like, <laughs> I know. It's such a simple question. <laughs> number one piece of advice. Hey. Well, I might answer this differently on different days. Right. I realize as I'm... <laughs> as, as, the, as the menu of options is clicking through my brain, you know, I'm, I know what I'm going to, there's something called the, I'm going to sneak in four here. Um, it's called the four agreements. Mm. That would be my number one piece of advice is, you know, practice the four agreements, which are from this spiritual teacher, I guess, right. called Don Miguel. Uh-huh. And I turned that into what are four agreements for good doctoring? <laughs> and one is be impeccable with your word. The other is don't take anything personally. Number three is don't make assumptions. And number four is always do your best. Um, that uh, has been a, a key kind of base to, I think, for me, um, good doctoring oh yeah those are i mean there's a reason that they're just the four agreements like they're they're life-changing i think if you really live by them but i'm gonna now toss in one more because i from the navajo uh they have a wonderful i don't know what they would they wouldn't call it a principle but it's a it's a prayer it's called walk in beauty closing prayer from the Navajo way blessing ceremony so people might check that out just like yeah. how does one walk in beauty yeah and then you know that's going to mean different things to different of us but it, but there's got to be a thread of rightness to that absolutely no matter how it kind of looks well I wish you well with your project thank you thank you so much it's a, it's a good one yeah. yeah so we normally have three super rapid fire questions okay. can we ask you those yes all right there's one book you feel like had impacted your career the most? I would say, you know, early on um, would be Michael Murray's Encyclopedia of National Medicine, which yeah. is now the textbook of national medicine, which is now probably no longer because you have National Medicine's database or <laughs> things mm. like that. But, I mean, that was kind of like really very early publication of evidence-based natural medicine and that just rang my chimes it still lives on i mean it's a great resource i know we have copies of the school and mm -hmm. i look at it all the time okay uh do you use any medical apps do you have a favorite app <laughs> <laughs> okay remember i'm like 67 years old and really uh you know rudimentary and electronic yeah. things so no no apps <laughs> we don't you don't have to have them to be super no successful <laughs> not at all although i might tell the patient you know you, there's a few menstrual apps mm -hmm. check. so mm -hmm. yeah i'll do that and i have uh, a couple that i tell people about in terms of meditation uh, i forget now even the name of yeah, like Headspace, or yeah, Insight. Headspace. Yeah, those are so popular. So, you know, that's... But I, if I ever looked at them myself, no, I was just trusting who yeah. was telling me that they liked it. If that was a good thing. <laughs> totally. <laughs> All right. And then if you had to choose a favorite naturopathic modality, which one would be yours? Mm, probably botanicals. Yeah. 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 Awesome. 
just because they can, they're just so many and so diverse and so from soft and gentle to, you know, super aggressive and potent. And, and, and I'm not one to really talk much or know much about sort of the sort of spiritual relationship with plants, um, but... But I know it's there. And I mean, I live in a, quite a ways in the country and surrounded by you know, trees and forests and vegetation. So I, I believe in the healing power of nature, mm-hmm. which um, to me includes being in nature mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, um, and uh, experiencing nature. Uh, so that to me, that healing power of nature is plant medicine is a large 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 part of that oh yeah absolutely perfect well tori just thank you so much for taking the time to do this you know i just want to acknowledge just you're you're so generous with your time and sharing what you know i mean i know i had the opportunity to come and learn from you when i was a third year student and you've just been such a force in really bringing like evidence base to so many of these things that we've already been using of just you know, bringing together the research that's out there and just constantly being part of like making naturopathic medicine better. And so I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Thank you. That's very kind of you to say that. I appreciate the acknowledgement. Yeah. I wish you guys the best. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Practice Sessions. If you enjoyed the interview, please make sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. For show notes and more information, visit our website at www.thepracticesessionspodcast.com.